The third area I think is actually the most important one, and that is grit. Um, uh, or tenacity, as we call it sometimes. You know, the ability to uh, to say to yourself that failure is not an option, so that when you hit the wall the first time, or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time as a founder, which any great founder in the world does. I mean, look at the Apple history, look at the Google history, look at the Tesla history, SpaceX history, Atlassian history, you know. All of these companies have gone through periods of time where they just had real, real problems, uh, and they succeeded partly because the, the founders didn't give up. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO podcast, we speak with an entrepreneurial catalyst and game-changing futurist who is driven to accelerate global aspiring entrepreneurs through connecting them with compatible co-founders and investors. Born in Norway, he dove in headfirst to kickstart his career as a Navy SEAL before heading to Harvard University to study a Bachelor's of Science and Economics. He then excelled as an associate principal and junior partner at McKinsey & Company, where he discovered his true talent as a leader. In 2013, he found his feet in the entrepreneurial and venture capital space when he took the reins of Rocket Internet as managing director, as well as co-founding Zalora Southeast Asia. He then successfully transitioned into managing director and COO of Global Fashion Group, which offers over 8,000 brands and operates across four continents and 28 countries employing over 10,000 people. He is currently the founder and CEO of Antler, a new startup generator turning the world's best talent into great founders of great companies. In less than two years, he has grown Antler to more than 70 staff and is in the process of expanding to six cities across five continents in less than one year. I'm excited to introduce you to an incredible entrepreneur and angel investor who is on the search for the right talent, drive, and ambition to change the world, Magnus Greenland. Magnus, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. Very happy to be here and I look forward to our conversation today. Yeah, we appreciate your, your time. You know, I know you've just flown in from China this morning and uh, you know, it's gonna be, I'm looking forward to some really great insights of your amazing career here that's been quite diverse and where you're starting to head now. You're a very determined individual who excels in bringing people together. Can you tell us about growing up in Norway and were you actually the leader of the pack at school? Yes, I actually grew up uh, you know, in the farmland of Norway, so, so pretty far away from uh, you know, the, everything, the, the closest store uh, to where we grew up uh, was about uh, seven kilometers away. Uh, so uh, it was really a great way to grow up. You would you know, be surrounded by literally this beautiful scenery, fjord, spending uh, most of the time uh, doing outdoor activities and uh, really, really enjoy that. Uh, so, you know, apart from school in, in those early days, it was literally being in the forest doing sports and, and these things. and. I think from the beginning, I really enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, spending time with people. So we'd always get involved in uh, in, in various types of organizations and, uh, you know, captain the football team and uh, and, and do these things. But uh, uh, it's really, you know, later in life after after the Navy where, you know, I started taking on bigger leadership positions. Okay, so you were, you know, obviously you were quite adventurous and you, you like to be outdoors. What was the moment where you decided, look, I'm, I want to be a Navy SEAL? Well, so I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a larger journey. So when I was rather young, uh, it was just after I turned 10, I believe, my great-grandmother uh, died. And I started, like, it, at a very early age, thinking through kind of the meaning of being on Earth, uh, which is, 
which is quite interesting. And I remember, uh, you know, speaking to my father about it, which is his opinion is more such that you, you live and then then you die. Well, my my mother was there that, you know, there's there's always more to life after life. So I started kind of searching for, you know, why uh, why are we here? And, uh, you know, decided quite early that, uh, uh, you know, this is probably a, a lifelong journey thinking about these types of questions, but I decided quite early uh, that uh, at least um, it would be nice to have a positive impact on the world uh, uh, small uh, during one's lifetime. Uh, so therefore, you know, from a military perspective, uh, you know, my family has, has has long and traditional kind of military history. You know, my my grandfathers were in the Second World War, and uh, you know, my father was in the military. And uh, it was quite naturally at the time that uh, most men in Norway went into the military service, and I just wanted to make the most out of it. Uh, and uh, uh, um, the Navy SEALs at the time was a great opportunity to that. It's of course, you know, an amazing kind of combined physical and mental. Um, challenge. Uh, at the same time, it is one of the places where you can have the most impact uh, uh, as as a soldier because you literally get get tasked with with some of the most important uh, missions that you have. So so those things in combination really inspired me. On top of that, you know, at the time I was actually also uh, had had at least uh, I was thinking a bit about becoming an, an astronaut, and I could see that uh, a kind of a special forces background. It would be useful for that. Uh, so, so you know, it was a combination of kind of multiple things, the background of my family, a bit, you know, wanting to, to make an impact, and, and thirdly, uh, how that prepares you for the future. So uh, very, very exciting times. Yeah, definitely. So what characteristics do you, did you have that you felt that allowed you to excel? So I'd say there, as in I think most areas, uh, in life, um, I think it really comes back to, to three things, which is also what we're now looking for in the entrepreneurs that we bring on board in Antler. It's kind of this developing a spike, like in, an area where you can really kind of utilize your, your strengths. Uh, so, you know, having a clear view of what your strengths are. Uh, second is, you know, just building up that inner engines of finding out what it is that drives you uh, and uh, and ensure that you work with these things. Uh, so, you know, uh, that, that drive has always been very important for me. And then I think thirdly is just uh, when you decide to do something, uh, then follow through. Um, so I think I've always been of the opinion uh, that, you know, if you're going to do something, uh, you should do it well. And you should ensure that it happens because if you spend a year or two of your life uh, on something and it turns into nothing, it's it's not really worth it. And and this I think is core in all types of leadership and all types of whether it's you know leadership or it's sports or it's setting up a new company. Uh, that you know ability to to say to yourself that failure is not an option, right? A lot of the people who did not end up going through the Navy SEAL selection. It's not because they weren't prepared. It's not because they weren't in good enough shape. It's not that they weren't mentally tough enough. It's just at once you start thinking that, hey, you know, I could do something else than this, going seven days without food and without sleep, uh, you know, doesn't become that attractive anymore. So, you know, this, I think, is a core, core skill set to have. Yeah, definitely. So that's obviously allowed, you know, set a great base for you uh, on your journey as a leader and successful entrepreneur in the future. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So being part of a special elite team is, is something very, very special. Why did you decide to leave the Navy SEALs and, you know, go to Harvard University and pursue a career in the corporate world? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of my friends are still there, and you know, one of the guys that you know I went to the course with is now one of the most decorated special forces operators in Norway. Uh, so a lot of my friends decided to stay, and I was also, 
you know, it was a tough decision to make because you get very close uh, with these guys and it's of course a really uh, exciting job. Um, the decision making process there for me was such that, uh, you know, back again to this kind of early thinking that I think has driven me throughout my life that you want to kind of have as big of an impact as possible. And I was talking to one of my old teachers in United World College. I went to this United World College of the Atlantic in Wales. It's an international high school. And he used to be a special forces operator for the SAS in the UK. And, uh, you know, we were having these long philosophical discussions around how can you have the most impact. And I think he'd been 10 years or so in the SAS. And he just said, you know, you can have a tremendous amount of impact there. And it's going to be extremely exciting, but you'll have even more impact uh, if you can touch much more people. And through that, uh, you need to go into civilian life. So, you know, I was I was considering doing two things. I was considering doing a medical school uh, or I was considering uh, applying to Harvard because a lot of my uh, friends were there from high school. And on top of that, uh, I believe it would be a good kind of enabling stone to, to, to have that impact. So, so I, I applied for medical school and for Harvard and I was lucky to get in and, uh, and uh, had four very exciting years there at the time where a lot of things were happening, right? Including, you know, Facebook was built there at the time. I remember in the very beginning of Facebook, we actually knew everyone on the platform. <laughs> uh, now I only know a fraction of the people who are there. <laughs> yeah, sure. So you, you then obviously went into McKinsey and company, which were your focuses were a lot more around the global telecom, media and high tech industries. Do you think that role set yourself up to, as well as a study you did at Harvard University, that really set you up for the corporate world and, and as a good path for people to choose? I mean, I think McKinsey is an amazing organization and uh, you can really learn a lot there. Uh, the learning curve is amazing. The most exciting thing about McKinsey is that you work with tremendously driven people who are very smart. Uh, but on top of that, the most exciting part is working with uh, you know senior leaders at some of the biggest companies across the globe who have a tremendous amount of, of, of knowledge, experience, um, and insights into what they're doing. Um, so my purpose of going into McKinsey was really uh, of course, having the impact through the work we were doing, but also you get this opportunity to kind of build your own McKinsey. So what I wanted to do is to work in a lot of different locations to learn about new cultures, um, to, to, to experience how things were working across the globe. And on top of that, I was very excited about technology. So I wanted to work with technology companies. And McKinsey gave me the opportunity to work with everything from semiconductor companies, in Asia, to startups in Silicon Valley, to consumer electronics companies in Europe, to telcos, to media. So I really got to work with the entire value chain of companies uh, and with the senior leadership on those companies. And then, of course, you know, we have an impact on these companies, which is important. But on top of that, you really learn and develop yourself a lot as a leader. Um, so, you know, back there again, you know, I thought, um, I, I heard Jeff Bezos talk about this the other day, and I think it's very true. Um, a lot of people talk about living in the now, which I think is incredibly important to live in the now. Uh, but at the same time, there's nothing wrong with kind of thinking through what you're doing now and how it impacts your ability to do exciting things in the future. So I think this combination of really living in the now and doing as much as you can out of what you're doing right now but also thinking through how that will enable you in the future has always been very important for me. So one of the, the things that I do, for example, is that I, you know, every month uh, I update my one month, one year and 10 year plan and then look at what I'm doing now and how it will enable, uh, you know, things that I want to do in the future. And we do that with Antler as well, right? So we think about how we can improve over the next month, but also how that will enable who we want to be in one year and who we want to be 10 years from now. Um, so, so uh, you know, McKinsey was an incredibly important step for me in, in, in that journey towards what we're doing now. Yeah, so you, you touch on this about setting goals and refining those and reviewing them regularly. And 
I know we'll touch a bit on that later on when we talk about Antler. Uh, obviously, with your growth there, I'm sure that you're updating and changing those goals quite uh, quite rapidly at the moment. You became Managing Director of Rocket Internet in 2013. Was that something that you set your sights on or were you approached to take that role by someone else? Yeah, so I mean, Rocket Internet at the time was an extremely exciting organization. I mean, the, the vision was really to, uh, to build large internet platforms across the globe. Um, and of course, I, I took on uh, together with some other amazing people uh, uh, to build Solora.com uh, in Southeast Asia. And, you know, I knew that I wanted to build uh, a business. And, uh, you know, I've been thinking through what to build. And when this opportunity came up, uh, I really jumped on it. Of course, you know, at the time, Zalando uh, had been growing incredibly fast in Europe and very rapidly became the biggest fashion e-commerce platform in Europe. Um, and we believe that the opportunity to address 450 million potential customers in Southeast Asia uh, with a similar type business model was going to be very exciting. Uh, so, so that was the decision-making process. And, uh, you know, came down here and, uh, uh, of course, uh, you, you can always kind of uh, adapt winning business models in new markets, but you also learn a lot about how you need to do things differently. So we spend a lot of time uh, looking into how we needed to kind of innovate on payment methods, on delivery methods, the whole operational and technical part of setting up a company like this. Uh, uh, which was, uh, you know, very exciting because, you know, the way you operate in Vietnam versus Indonesia versus Singapore is very, very different. For sure. So, so what scared you the most about taking that leap into the unknown as an entrepreneur? Um, I think I was never scared uh, about doing it. I knew that this is something... I always wanted to do. Um, I think, and I think most people who become great founders also think that way. Um, I think rather what scares people a little bit is the timing. Right? So when is the right time? And it's even harder when you are in an occupation or in a situation in life where you're actually having a lot of fun and really enjoying what you're doing, right? So I was in McKinsey at the time really having a tremendous group of clients, having tremendous uh, colleagues. You know, I really valued and looked up to the, the leadership I had there in McKinsey. So there's really absolutely no reason whatsoever for why I should leave, which makes the decision even harder. Uh, but in the end, you know, uh, if there's something you want to accomplish in life, uh, I guess my, my, my general learnings so far is that, uh, you know, you typically don't regret on doing that too fast. Uh, so, you know, for me, it was more, you know, is this the right time to do it? Uh, and then, uh, you know, I got convinced after, uh, you know, thinking about it for a while, I set myself a deadline and then got convinced, okay, now I, I do the jump and we do this. Uh, but it was more of a timing question than being scared of actually doing it. And I think this is probably what most aspiring entrepreneurs are um, are thinking through when they make this decision, right? Do I do it now or do I do it a year from now or two years from now? Unfortunately, a lot of people then never end up doing it because you get stuck on this kind of wave of life, right? Where uh, it's it's very easy to get thrown into a milestone and just follow what your life do with you instead of kind of setting the direction for your own life. Yeah, definitely. So... So what allowed you to, to grow Zalora so quickly and, and then obviously be in a position to merge with Global Fashion Group? So um, I think we have an incredible team. So number one, I think any great business you build, fundamentally everything comes down to the team. The team decides what they're going to build, how are you going to build it? And of course, you know, puts in all the man hours that are necessary to make it happen. So we had some really, really incredible people there. Uh, the second thing is then, 
you know, really spending time on validating the business model. And of course, you know, with these types of proven models, we, of course, were not the first fashion e-commerce company to be built. So we could learn a lot from um, existing models across the globe. And, uh, and uh, you know, so a lot about validating the business model is a not so much about whether the business model will work itself, but what makes this business model different in Southeast Asia. So for example, you know, challenges is, how do you serve a market like Indonesia uh, with 3% credit card penetration? Uh, you know, we, we, we decided the only way to make that happen is we need to have cash and delivery. Is cash and delivery possible to do in Indonesia now? No, it's not. Okay, how do we solve that issue? So we've kind of wrote down a list of you know, these are the things we need to really need to resolve and locally innovate on to make this model work. And one, when you're very clear and then have validated the business model and the go-to-market strategy, uh, it really becomes a lot about execution. Um, and then you need, th through execution, you also need to kind of look at what is kind of the tipping point that will lead to incredible growth. And I think for, a, for, for any type of fashion aggregator or you know, a big platform for fashion. Uh, this is this is really stuff like what are the products you have available to your customer, right? So you know, um, and in the beginning, none of the big fashion brands wants to be on your platform. So you need to convince them that you will be a great sales channel for them, and then you will take care of their brand. Um, but once you have that first great fashion brand on board, then the other one starts coming quite quickly, and that's when you have the kind of pivot model for a fashion e-commerce company is when you really start getting the great products in there. If you then can deliver a good customer experience, you're very set to go. Uh, so, so, so those, I think, are the, the three aspects. One, have a tremendous team. We have a tremendous team. Second is, um, you know, really validating the business model so it just becomes about executing. And then thirdly, um, you know, find out what that tipping point is and, and don't get discouraged if it takes time to get there because once you get there, then you get this tremendous network in adjacency uh, 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 elements that just uh, means that you grow incredibly fast, right? So for us, that was, you know, getting a couple of the big international brands on board, going from just local brands to international brands. So obviously, once you've got them on board, it comes down to making sure that you develop that really good relationship and ensure that you know KPIs are met, so they want to continue with you. What sort of strategies were you putting in place? You know, obviously you talked about customer service there before, and and making sure the process was fine. But what other strategies did you put in place to ensure that you were the company of choice for those major brands? So that's a very good question. I think there are, I mean, there's hundreds of things that you do right, but the, but the few. Um, insights that I think are important. A couple of the things we did is, um, as the as top management of the company, we would sit in on a certain amount of, of for example, customer calls every week, to customers who call uh, our customer service. And of course, any customer that calls your customer service um, is calling because something didn't work out in the way they wanted it to. Otherwise, they would never call. They would just receive the package and then they would you know, be happy. Uh, so you learn a lot from these conversations uh, in terms of things you can do better. Uh, and I think a lot of companies, there's just way too, you're way too far away. The leadership is way too far away from the end customer. Uh, and I was really inspired by, you know, there's a lot of very famous entrepreneurs who've done this really well. Like, for example, you know, Steve Jobs occasionally would answer customers' requests or customer feedback emails about the Apple products. Uh, and I think, you know, great leaders who develop great customer experiences and great products uh, do this type of stuff. They always remain throughout the career and throughout building the company very close to the customer. So that's number one. The second, of course, you know, uh, in, in a marketplace like Solora or where you have customers on one side and then your suppliers on the other, which are the fashion brands, you need to do the same the other way around. You really need to spend real leadership time uh, with your brands to understand you know what is important for them um, what are the customers they want to see where are they going in the future how can you help them get better right you know so don't wait for them to ask you for ask uh, you for data 
but instead compile insights for them that would be useful for them to make better products and improve their assortment, not only through your sales channels, but also the sales channels they have across the rest of the globe. So I think, you know, if you if you identify the core stakeholders uh, uh, for your business, the customers and your suppliers, and ensure that the customers have a better be, and better experience and, and your suppliers and other stakeholders uh, become even more profitable and more successful because of you, uh, then you have uh, a really great setup. And I think a lot of companies die uh, because they get too internally focused on their own platform and what they are doing uh, without being close enough to, to the customers and these stakeholders. Yeah, I like that approach. Let's move forward to 2017 and you founded Antler. What is the purpose and goal of Antler and what was the seed that inspired you to create something new and something different in this space? Yeah, so, you know, you come to this stage of your life where you, um, uh, you realize that you have the opportunity to really uh, fully align uh, your passion with where what you're building and what you're kind of earning money on, right? So, you know, we we really, I always believe that, uh, you know, fundamental change in the world will come through innovation. And we looked for a long time at various types uh, of, of ways to build a global platform to enable amazing talent uh, uh, to build great companies. Um, and the way we went through this whole process is very methodologically. So, you know, of course, the inspiration and vision has been there for many, many years. Uh, but then it's about turning that into something which can really be impactful for, you know, our customers per se, or, you know, or the entrepreneurs that, that, that come in and take part in the Ant platform. So what we did is we looked at what some of the amazing VCs have been doing, you know, in the, in the U.S. and China. China and Southeast Asia and Australia and Europe. We looked at um, the best accelerators out there, the best venture builders out there, and really kind of realized that there's a real opportunity uh, to lower the barrier for amazing talent to get into entrepreneurship, right? So the best PhD sitting in the best universities around, some of the best talent in some of the best companies around, uh, but also people who are self-taught coders from, you know, Vietnam or India who have no education but are just amazing product builders. Um, there's a real opportunity to create a platform that makes the jump from whatever they're doing now into building a truly impactful company much easier. Uh, and and once we felt that there was a real space for a platform like this, we we decided that this is what we need to dedicate our life to doing. And since then, that's what we've been executing on. So, you know, that the platform then took shape. We, we launched our website in, in January 2018. And since then, as you know, relentlessly been focusing on setting up a platform where we can bring in this amazing talent, uh, giving them a bit of a grant to quit their job uh, and, and join the program to build their own company. And then we also make the first investment into the, their company but also in a way that is different from traditional venture builders, we only take uh, about 10% ownership in the company. So entrepreneurs coming into the Antler platform will leave uh, with 90% ownership of their own business uh, and uh, with a tremendous network, uh, with tremendous advisors and access to external investors and capital, um, which otherwise a lot of people will would not have access to. So. Um, so, you know, I, I'm very happy that, you know, for the first time in life, you know, the passion is, is, is fully aligned with what I spent my entire professional career doing. So uh, it's very, very exciting. It's fantastic. It's nice to find that passion and, and, and your why and really be able to make a difference for people. I think one of the scary, well, not the scary parts, but one of the most challenging parts of, for entrepreneurs is is trying to understand what do they look for in a co-founder and investor and how do they make that work? So can you sort of talk a little bit around you know, what what makes a great co-founder and what sort of investors you should be looking for as an entrepreneur? 
Yes, I think what is critical um, when you're looking for a co-founder, first start with really knowing yourself. Um, so I think great teams are put together where uh, the, or each individual team member knows what they're great at and where they need support from other people. So in the Antler example, for example, I know that I have a tremendous amount of, of drive and vision and can bring together, I think, a great group of people. But I also know that uh, it's useful for, for me to have, uh, you know, a pessimist in the team or someone who loves to go down into the detail or someone who, you know, now and then likes to put the brake on, on, on what we're doing, right? So this is an insight. This is a very kind of high-level insight on, on what I know about myself. But based off of that, I can bring in people that I work with uh, that, that are complementary to me and ensures that we both become more effective. So this is the one thing, know yourself. And then you should look at getting a co-founder which complements you in a good way that may, basically would make you stronger. Uh, and uh, 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 so that's number one, the complementary side. The second thing is then just ensuring that you know the chemistry is good. So spend a serious amount of time together and ask those really deep questions, right? You know, everything from uh, what your passion is in life, what your deep down values are, down to kind of more immute questions as, you know, when do you like starting to work in the morning? What do we do in the weekends? Do we work on Saturdays and part of Sundays in the beginning phase of the company? Uh, if one of the co-founders has children, talk through like, what do you do in that period of time just after work where one should spend some quality time with the family? Uh, you know, vesting of stock, uh, salaries, titles, all this stuff like, have that serious conversation early so that you know the chemistry is there and that you can work together for a decade because you know for, for great companies that's you know what you're going to end up doing is seeing your co-founder at times even more than you do your your wife right so you better spend a serious amount of time going through these details and this is what we do in the antler program we have you know it was one uh, great the vietnamese vietnamese founder we had in the program here in singapore a while back and and he said hey you know uh, what I, I I wish I'd gone through uh, to this detail the same amount of questions about finding a co-founder that I'm doing in Antler uh, uh, with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, finding a co-founder with, uh, with with getting married, but it's really kind of a serious commitment to take on board. Um, and then you know, thirdly, of course, you need to share the common passion about what you're building. Um, so. So, so this, I think, is really the most important part of building a business is ensuring that, you know, we spend solid time finding out who you're going to build it with. Um, so that's, you know, very, very important. And secondly, you know, it's much better building a company together with one or two or three other people than doing it yourself. Um, uh, the chance, single founding teams has a much higher chance of not succeeding uh, because it's so much easier to get through the difficulties of building a great business if you're sharing the burden with someone who can complement you greatly. So you talk about there about that whole, can you work with someone for a decade, etc. cetera. We, we know that many startups fail before they are actually giving themselves time to really get started. What characteristics make a successful entrepreneur? So what things are you looking for in the Antler program? So we're looking for um, someone with a spike, uh, someone with drive, and someone with grit. So let, let me go through that very quickly. So with a spike, what we mean is people who are has something where they're better than most people on, right? So this can be anything from you. You probably have friends who would walk into an elevator with 12 random strangers and then when you come to the bottom floor they seem to be friends with everyone right this is a spike like this ability to just get close to people create trust and, and get to know people uh, you probably have other friends I have friends who would just love going home on Friday night and spending the whole weekend solving some sort of problem uh, on their own uh, or who are just extremely passionate about the specific area and know more about that area than anyone else. This spike could be anything, 
but we're really looking for spike characters. We believe great founders have some spike and they know what that spike is themselves uh, really well. The second thing is that inner engine or drive as we call it, which is the ability to just uh, make stuff happen. Uh, uh, and this is critical and a bit hard to test for, but uh, uh, you typically can can see that when you talk through people, the, the most exciting thing they've done in their life or the, the thing they're the most proudest about accomplishing and how you got there and how that will influence them as an entrepreneur. The third area I, I think is actually the most important one, and that is grit. Um, uh, or tenacity, as we call it sometimes, you know, the ability to uh, to say to yourself that failure is not an option so that when you hit the wall the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time as a founder, which any great founder in the world does. I mean, look at the Apple history, look at the Google history, look at the Tesla history, SpaceX history, Atlassian history, you know, all of these companies have gone through periods of time where they just had real, real problems. Uh, and they succeeded partly because the, the founders didn't give up. Um, and, and this, I think, you know, is critical. There's actually a bunch of teams and companies that have become huge, huge global successes, not because they were necessarily set up to be those, but they were the only ones who didn't give up. Um, so this is critical. A lot of startups fail not because they don't have a great team or because they don't have the right business model, but just because... Uh, they give up when the first challenges arrive. It's not easy to build a business. So, you know, obviously you, you have a process there to allow people to try and get into the program. What, is a, what does that process look like and what can the applicant expect once you've submitted your application and you get to the next phases? Yeah, so the process is very simple. Go to antler.co and uh, click the apply button and then choose whether you want to build a company in Sydney or Singapore or somewhere else where we are. Um, and then uh, we do uh, we ask for self-assessment, which is uh, you know, a small personality test and uh, you know some, some input on what you really want to achieve um, and uh, your background, of course. Um, then we do a screening interview uh, with all the candidates uh, and to get to know uh, you as a candidate a little bit better. Uh, and then lastly, there's uh, partner interviews. Um, so we're really trying to kind of understand people in depth uh, who, who come in. And this is to ensure that, you know, if you come into the program, we of course, you know, we bring in about a hundred people every half a year. And we want to ensure that when they have quit their job and decided to build a business uh, and come to Antler, the other 99 people who are there are also people that would make amazing founders. So it becomes like a great place for people to find uh, co-founders. What we occasionally also do is, you know, we'll find co-founders for, and the founders are already part of the program, outside of the program. Uh, so we're not prescriptive in that sense. We want to at least ensure that the people who come into the program are people who are really, really serious about building a business um, and has the kind of personality and skills to, uh, to do so. Um, uh, so right now we're, you know, depending a bit from location to location, but we're we're currently admitting about like three to five percent of the people applying. Uh, so um, uh, you, you can be assured that the other people who will be there with you uh, are great people to build businesses with. It's very exciting to listen to what you're doing there and, and obviously that global expansion. So you've just launched in Sydney earlier this week. You, your expansion has been very fast and very effective. How have you approached that expansion and why have you chosen the cities that you currently have on board to set up office? Yes, so, so we are slowly growing Antler into global platforms. We want to ensure um, but we really can build great companies out of Australia uh, and, and help bring them global. In the same way, we want to ensure that we can help Southeast Asian companies and European companies access the Australian market. So by really being a global platform, we enable our entrepreneurs in a whole new way. Uh, so this is the number one reason for why we're doing it. 
um, I mean, in the end, the only way Antler will be successful is through our founders being successful. And this 100% alignment with the founders to come into the program is incredibly important because it means that we're all in the same boat at all points of time. Uh, uh, the reason why we chose to uh, to go to Sydney and Australia is is it's just an incredibly exciting market, but more importantly, it's we know that there's a tremendous amount of amazing talent there. Uh, so, and there has been uh, a few, of course, global successes being built out of Australia, and we believe there will be way more uh, going forward. Uh, you have this place with you know amazing talent who speaks perfect English and can address uh, most of the world uh, and also are, uh, you know, uh, have the ability to both address uh, uh, Southeast Asia, which is very close, but also the US and Europe. Um, uh, and of course, also have strong ties into China. So uh, we really believe we can build great companies in Australia. The way we look at expanding is, and this I think is critical and, and, and really like your question there is, I think there are a number of ways to expand uh, which are not healthy for a business, uh, but the way we are expanding is is through our expansion we get stronger. So, for example, the uh, Bead and Anthony, who are leading our Australia setup, if anything, they are as experienced or more experienced than I am. Uh, I'd say they are better than me in many ways, and their skill sets and their know-how uh, adds a lot to the whole Antler global platform. And this is how we look at expansion. Uh, we would never expand uh, by, you know, me spending less of my time in, in one location and a bit of my time in a new location. But we expand by bringing on board two partners who get part of the global partnership team who are stronger than the ones we already have. And through that, they can also contribute to founders in the rest of the world uh, and then the founders that come in and, and build with us in Australia know that they can also access our partnership in in, in the US, in Europe, and, and in Southeast Asia. So this is how we do it. And through that, you know, we get stronger and stronger as a platform, and we have more and more relevant partners for uh, the founders that come in and want to build as we grow and scale. Uh, so we are not building a, you know, a hierarchical organization. We're not building a franchise. We're building a true global partnership that gets stronger and stronger uh, the more partners we bring on board. And I must say the, the leadership team uh, and the partners in, in Australia are, are just incredible. It's in, insane how much they managed to make happen over the last few months and can't wait to get going with building businesses there. I love that approach where each person you bring on, you want them to have greater skills than the rest of the team already. So that's a very powerful and important part of leadership. So congratulate you for that approach. All great leaders have got to have some outlet. They've got to have a way to recharge the batteries. And I, I believe you have found the Ironman bug. Um, so what drew you to the sport of triathlon as an outlet from your work? So Ironmans are amazing in the way that the training you need to do um, uh, uh, to do these races uh, is as much, as much physical as it is mental. So I think, you know, uh, there's a lot of talk about how uh, mindfulness and really getting the time to kind of think through other aspects and clear your mind is incredibly important uh, uh, for leaders to improve and become better. Um, and this is my way to do that, right? When I go out on a two or three or four or five hour bike ride, you really get the chance to to think at the same time as you get the chance to become healthier. Uh, same when you go out on the long run. And when you go on these, you know, it takes me, you know, I'm not as fast as the the really professional Ironman is. So it takes me still about 11 to 12 hours to complete one of these races. And, and throughout that, it's, it's really, I think, a large, uh, uh, you know, meditation exercise because you're always there uh, you know, trying to push your body to the limit and pushing through various types of pain barriers. Uh, so I always come out of that very, very recharged. And of course, you know, it also, I think just being healthy in general allows you to put way more energy into your work. Uh, uh, so that's, I think it's just my way of um, 
getting the time uh, uh, to think and think about other things than you do in work and you always come back I think refreshed uh, uh, to get going on the next phase of, of building your company uh, so really really enjoy that uh, before I, I've only done this actually for the last three to four years uh, before that uh, I would do the same when I was living in Europe uh, just walking in the mountains so you know regularly in the weekends going on large mountain trips and do mountaineering and skiing, uh, which I think is very similar. Uh, so that's my way of recharging, uh, and uh, it works very well. And it's also great for uh, you know, building something like Antler because you, you end up going to a lot of locations where uh, you, know, you don't necessarily have the nature close or you're traveling, but you can always go for a run or you can always go for a swim or you can always go for a bike ride. So you touch on something there that we would uh, term active meditation. And I think it's so powerful that, you know, the, keeping the body moving, that, that's really, really important because that, that gets the brain functioning more effectively, gets you a lot of clarity and, and obviously allows you to uh, put that mind in the right space. Um, obviously, say to recharge, but also to set it up to be in a creative mind as well. So what other habits and rituals do you follow to ensure that you lead an active and healthy lifestyle and ensure that you bring your A-game every single day? Yes, I think um, number one there is starting back, uh, you know, going back to the Ironman example. So I think what for me really helps is, uh, and not everyone functions this way, but for me it really helps to have some clear goals. Um, and when you have signed up for a full Ironman somewhere, you really don't have the, and you've de determined to do it. I typically don't just, you know, I, I have this thing where I always have to follow through on what I decide to do. So it means that I literally have to be in great shape uh, if I sign up for one of these Ironmans. So, so just setting that as a goal and signing up, uh, you know, makes it, it, it really work. And this is how I've, uh, always live my life as we spoke about earlier is setting these one month one year and ten year goals uh, and then these goals can change right you shouldn't get stuck on you know what you decided to do ten years ago is probably somewhat different from what you want to do right now uh, but thinking through uh, uh, life is a is, is a journey where you have certain things you want to Kind of improve on the on the family side, on the friend side, on the work side, on the health side. Uh, really uh, enables me at least uh, to, uh, uh, to to do things now, which will be better for the future. Uh, and this uh, this is I mean the number one thing uh, that I do. The second thing I always enjoy doing, and I wonder why it's not more popular, uh, is uh, front-loading. Uh, so I believe very, very strongly in front-loading. Uh, so what that means is, uh, let's say you start a new job or you're starting a new company or uh, you're, you're, you're a student and you're in university and you're starting the next semester. Um, there's a tendency sometimes to, you know, let's take the student example uh, to, you know, uh, attend classes and do things during the semester and then really study hard before the exam. Uh, a much better strategy is to study like crazy the first month or mm -hmm. two uh, and then you will understand the lectures much better. You will have a much better grasp of everything you're doing and then when the exam comes uh, you will know everything and you don't really need to study that hard before it. And throughout the semester you actually end up saving time uh, and it's the same with work it's the same with starting a company it's the same with starting any new type of project if you spend a serious amount of time up front uh, aligning the objectives of what you're going to do uh, deciding who's going to do what what the communication cadence will be the planning uh, you know uh, what happens if there's unforeseen circumstances then you're prepared and actually throughout uh, the project or throughout, you know, whatever you're doing, uh, you end up saving time as a whole. Uh, so this, this is the, the second thing 
uh, which which I always lived after, and I think it's extremely helpful. It's just front load everything, right? You know, if you start a new job, then make a huge effort in the in the beginning, and you will form kind of relationship with your colleagues as as being reliable, getting things done, and you will have insights that will make life much easier down the road. Uh, so that's number two. Uh, number three is, uh, and this I guess. It's a bit more kind of specific to me, but I like to kind of take on uh, one thing every year, uh, which I'm slightly uncomfortable doing, uh, which I think, you know, uh, ensures that you think a little bit outside of the box. So, for example, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I decided to learn hip hop dancing. And for the people who know me, I'm a terrible dancer. <laughs> and I also don't feel very comfortable on the dance floor. Uh, uh, but you know, you learn things then. You learn things about movement. You learn things about your own body. Uh, you learn new things about how your brain works, uh, which is very helpful. And this year, I haven't been able to start yet. But this year, I was thinking about uh, taking up singing, uh, where I also get uh, frequent feedback that it's an area uh, which I definitely. Uh, I definitely shouldn't do that much. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that approach, especially that front-loading approach. And, uh, and I know a lot of people that would benefit great uh, would greatly benefit from taking that approach in the way they either start a job or um, they they take on a project. So I like that one. We all know smart people have great answers, but the best people ask great questions. So when was the last time? you did something for the first time. So uh, I'd say this hip hop dancing was probably um, the last time, uh, at least which left the mark. So, you know, uh, the interesting thing is, uh, I told a few people in my team that I was gonna pick up on hip hop dancing and uh, one of my team members called Jessica uh, had then set up and arranged like a class that I could attend that she was attending already. Uh, little did I know uh, that she had set up a hidden camera, uh, <laughs> which the whole training exercise, which was also a bit weird because I was the only guy there. So it was me and I think nine or 10 other women. Uh, and uh, uh, I was just horrible, like literally. Uh, uh, you can probably see the video I'm probably tagged somewhere on Facebook and uh, it, it looks absolutely terrible uh, but you know it's a great way to start because uh, there's really only one way from there and it's upwards there was really no way I could get worse than that first <laughs> training exercise I love it you've got a team member that makes you accountable and also ensures that you can you can see how vulnerable you are in the at the beginning <laughs> So yeah, what? Exactly. So what is the one question that you would love to solve? The one question that we're working really hard on, um, and I'm very passionate about, is uh, like what what really builds companies that have a tremendous impact, uh, and we think a lot about this and. You know, now we're learning a lot through having a lot of founders coming through our programs globally. We learn so that we ensure that the next experience for the next founders coming in get better. Uh, but I would really like to figure out, uh, you know, what what made Atlassian work, what made Apple work, what made Tesla work, what made, uh, you know, Alibaba work. Uh, while so many other people who tried to do the same thing uh, did not succeed. Uh, and, and this, I think, is, is a question that we in Antler will get smarter and smarter on, and that value we will give back to our founders. But it's a long way to, uh, to get there. Uh, uh, and and, and this, this is kind of the number thing, one thing we are working on now uh, uh, as an organization. Okay, so who's left the greatest impression and had the most impact on your career and why? 
Well, that is, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think there's a few people. Uh, so one is probably, you know, my, my teacher that I mentioned earlier from, from high school. Uh, he was a former uh, SAS operative. Uh, so, you know, through those very formative years in high school, um, you know, they have the ability to kind of talk to someone who, uh, who both had that incredible intellectual insights and wanted to be there and, and help, uh, you know, teenagers become better uh, and form a clear, uh, uh, you know, view on their path going forward and also was impactful uh, for me in terms of making the decision to go to uh, to Harvard after uh, after the military. Um, uh, so really, you know, I would really uh, encourage anyone uh, who's a student now to kind of identify these types of people who are professors in your university or in, in the high school to kind of find that person and have real conversations with them, not only, uh, you know, to learn. Uh, I'd say the other, uh, you know, one person had a big, big impact on me uh, uh, was my grandmother. She's now 98 years old. Uh, and she has this very inspirational upbringing. So she grew up, uh, so her father was building railways in South America. Uh, so she grew up in the bush. Uh, they would be building, you know, railways in Bolivia and in Chile and uh, literally, you know, penetrating through the jungle there. Uh, and she grew up there from, you know, she was about nine years old until the late teens. Uh, and, you know, the workers who would come and help them build these railways, you know, they'd been, uh, some of them had been part of the guerrilla before and now needed jobs. And then they would all leave because some sort of new conflict started to, uh, you know, all of the, uh, you know, people that you met on the way who had been living in this forest for hundreds of years and had their traditions. Uh, and it was quite inspiring talking to her growing up and all of her life experiences across uh, the globe doing this. Of course, she moved back to Norway, and that's how I ended up being born in Norway. Uh, but listening to these stories from a young age and getting that kind of global perspective on what's possible and how cultures are different, uh, uh, it was incredibly inspiring. And... Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so she's been a great inspiration for me. Uh, and also, you know, she kept on pushing me throughout my life. On, you can always do uh, things better. You can always be nicer to other people around you. You can always have better manners. She still thinks my manners could be much better. Uh, but, you know, having someone like that in an early age, uh, I think is very impactful. So it's been a, a very fascinating conversation and a lot of great take-home messages for people and you've sparked my curiosity. How can people learn more about what you do and what would be the best way for people to connect with you if they wanted to get in touch? Yeah, so, I mean, we the best, where I have the most communication now is on, on my LinkedIn profile, so, so Magnus Grimland on, on LinkedIn. Uh, if anyone wants to to reach me uh, for a personal conversation, Magnus at antler.co. Uh, if I don't, uh, you know, answer personally, well, at least I'm sure that we can connect you with the Antler organization. Um, so those are the best ways of, of reaching me. And of course, you know, if you're interested in what Antler is doing, go to antler.co. And uh, we also have Antler LinkedIn page and Instagram. So you can see everything that's going on. And then I would really also encourage you uh, the the Australian listeners to uh, to reach out to to be at antler.co uh, who's just setting, heading up the Australia uh, organization. Magnus, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Um, some wonderful insights there. I really love the impact that the teacher made on you when you were at high school and how that's allowed you to stay focused as you've gone through your career. That deep dive when you were quite young and looking at your what what am i passionate about and what's going to make a big difference in the world and how can i be a part of that it is really quite inspirational and i think a lot of teenagers kind of need that structure and struggle to find that when they're young i love their approach on when you're looking for you know an entrepreneur they must have spike you're looking at drive 
And obviously the most important thing in the end is grit. You know, have they got that ability to stick it out and go through the, the good times and the bad times and be able to keep working on that momentum so they work the long game and not just a short one. I'm fascinating about you, you, you keep ensuring that you've got an active meditation or that active mindset to ensure that you're, you're recharging the batteries, you're getting yourself back up and you're in that right mind and, and headspace. So when you go back into the office, you're ready to go. I think that's really, really important. And, and obviously we talked about there that you, you love setting those big, hairy, audacious goals that, that are very challenging and scare you and um, put your way out of your comfort zone. That's important because if we're not doing that, then we're not growing. Um, so thank you very much for, for a wonderful conversation and I'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot out of this today. Excellent. Thank you, Craig, and thank you for having me on. Really, really appreciate it. This week's Active CEO Wellness Tip is all about workplace motivation. You can't build a company culture based on free snacks in the cafeteria or foosball table in the office dining area. It's all about building culture by talking to people. You need to find out what their motivations are. What makes them tick? Why are they there? What are they looking for in the future? And you can't just have this once. You need to have it regularly. People ask me regularly, how can you build a great culture in a company? For instance, if you have an employee that's incredible, like they're, they're really, really good, they're successful, they're driven, but they make everyone else feel miserable, then you need to fire them. Even if they are the top salesperson, your best developer, even your co-founder, you have to get rid of them because if you don't take care of the culture and, the, and ensure that the motivations are fresh with inside all the staff, then you're destined to fail. If you tell people that you care about them but you look the other way, this shows to employees that you mean something to everyone else than what you're sending to them. So you're sending a very clear message that, that you buy into, that you agree with that bad behavior, even though you don't. So it's really, really important that you take control of one, understanding the motivations, and two, take control of the culture inside your organization. Because it's important for not only you and the welfare of you as a leader, but also ensuring that you keep that team long-term. Very enlightening episode there with Magnus Greenland from Antler. Your very successful career where he knew from the age of 10 exactly where he wanted to go. He knew he wanted to make a change in the world. He had some powerful influences in both his grandma and also his teacher around the way he looked at life and the approach he took. You know, that teacher gave him that insight and that clarity to go on and be successful in the special, you know, elite forces of the Norwegian Navy SEALs. We learned a lot of a lot of valuable lessons that set him up for life in the future as in the corporate world and as an entrepreneur. He took that step to go to Harvard University and, and it was in the balance of whether he went to medical school or Harvard and he got that ticket to Harvard and he maximized that time there. And that's where he really started to learn the front-loading concept of ensuring that you put a lot of effort and a time into, say, if you're studying, at the beginning, so then it becomes easier later on to understand the lectures and you don't have to rush leading to an exam. Same when you're starting up a business. The more work you can do at the beginning to understand what you're getting yourself into, ensure that you've got the values right and you're putting the processes in place, the better off that company will be and you set yourself up for success. He then went into some very, very um, exciting and innovative companies and, and he started his own, you know, Zalora become, he took a concept from Europe and brought it into Southeast Asia around the fashion e-commerce. And he had to learn so much because it's not just directly taking one model in Europe and placing it in Asia. In Asia, every single country has a completely different market and a different way of consuming things. You know, there's only 3% of people in Indonesia actually have a credit card. 
So it made, you know, you had to be very creative and think about different ways to sell to that consumer. I love that there's three key characteristics to being successful. One, developing a spike. So it's an area where you can utilize your strengths and have a really clear view of what your strengths are. Two, you need to build your inner engine. You know, what really drives you? And three, grit. When you decide to do something, always follow through. Do it well and always make sure that you make it happen. You know, for him, his ability to say failure was not an option. And you can see that throughout his career. And now in his business with Antler, where they're taking the best talent from around the world and they're providing them with the resources, um, you know, some startup money to get them out of their current job so they can fully focus on what they're doing and then bring a support network around them of co-founders and the right investors. Companies are a lot more successful when they have a team around them. So when things get really tough, they can actually feed off each other and go through those tough times because most businesses stop when they hit that really, really tough first hurdle. And all successful businesses go through the roller coaster of multiple challenges and they have the ability, that grit to really keep going through the tough times because they know they'll succeed in the future. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.